Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. How was that for an introduction? What a sing song. Thank you. Are you feeling it's fall cold. yet? Oh, it's unofficially, officially fall. I've already had two pumpkin spice lattes. You can judge me all you want. I don't care. Welcome to Souptember. Souptember. That's what Dixie and I call it. I love it. This is the burr months. This is the beginning of the burr months, and it's fantastic. As are you two. You all are fantastic. So... What are you drinking? I've got an iced AeroPress. I did a Guatemalan coffee from, oh man, I'm always going to forget. I always forget the name. It's from Portland. It's like Great North, I think. It's not True North because I've made that mistake, but I think it's Great North Roasters. Super good. Uh, and then I'm also drinking a Dairy Gold Fit Chocolate Milk to go with it. So it kind of feels like I'm drinking like a deconstructed mocha iced. Ooh. It's really good. Like if you've never drank in just like coffee and milk separately, I think it's better. <laughs> like it's really, I, really I, nice. I think all of our beverages from now on should just be deconstructed. Like well, let's call it the raveled a, mocha. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> the that's what we're mocha. doing on the show. Might as and well. then I'm also drinking a Topo Chico with some lemon juice to hydrate. Standard Josh. Very good. Lovely. Steven. Well, as long as we're just giving stuff labels based on where we're at, I'm drinking an atheist hibiscus LaCroix. Um, and it's, it's, it's rim temp and it's delicious. You can always tell when I open a new case of LaCroix because like, we'll do like four, four or five episodes in a row where I drink the same thing because that's what's in the house and it's delicious. So here we are. Love it. I'm calling this and it's going to be explicit. So be prepared. I'm calling this the basic bitch brew because it's a pumpkin spice latte. So this is my third one. Uh, Delicious. Today? today. Oh, oh, whoa. Today. That's impressive. How big are these PSLs? Um, so my first one was only a 20 ounce. Only. My second one was also a 20 ounce. Uh, only um, a 20 this ounce. This one is a 16 ounce oh. and it's iced. This one is iced. My hmm. first two were not. Um, That's very so. Italian of you. Keeping the hot ones in the morning. Nice. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Thank you. And I'm also drinking um, an Arnold Palmer because I was feeling it. Nice. So, wow. There you have it. So it is my topic. And at first I was like, no, I'm not ready. Uh, but I am ready because the topic that I'm choosing can go in any direction. And uh, frankly, I'm just curious. What do you guys think of change? Huh? 
like in general, in like general, like, like just like the fall changing colors, like however, anything. Ex- how exactly? However, like what do you perceive change to be, and do you like it? Do you not? Is change bad? Is change inevitable? Is change necessary? Why do we have change? What is the importance of change? And I'm asking this because so backstory. We today in church, this is September 3rd, we had our joint ministerial service. So the Episcopals and the Lutherans and the Methodists, we once a year do a service together. And this service was held at the Methodist church. So I was preaching today and there was just change because some of those churches don't do the same things that we do. And when we're all combined, like we had our service the way Methodists here in Cody usually have a service. And some people may or may have not liked that. Like some people may not be comfortable with change if we do things maybe a little differently with liturgy or with hymns, um, having someone else preaching. I don't know if they are always comfortable with that or if they enjoy it. And it just got me thinking about how hard change can be for people, even if in my eyes, that change is very insignificant. And so just the idea of change is, I think, one churches obviously wrestle with, even to this day. Really hate that word. So I want to know, what are your thoughts on change? I don't like it. I don't. I never know what to do with my nickels. Okay. Get a piggy bank. <laughs> Especially because they're bigger Steven. than the dime. Like, what's know. up with that? That's okay, the that stupidest thing we've done in America. Stupid. Also, pennies are just downright awful. They Let's are be pointless. real. In today's economy? In this economy? Yeah. With this inflation? Same joke. Who's measuring in pennies anymore? Are you kidding? Anyway. No. Trader Joe's is. <laughs> really? <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> Take a penny, leave a penny. No, okay, so throw away joke about money change. Um, what are my opinions on change? Yeah, because like think about it. You guys have changed. Yeah. Inevitable. Do you like the change that you've experienced? Are there things that you wish hadn't changed? Are there things that you want to change? There's the change that happens to you, and there's the change that happens because of you, right? Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. fun little dance of agency in between those two. I think has been where I like that's where I've been dwelling lately. I mean, in the, in the context of the theological, you, you know, like church bodies might struggle with the idea of change. I've kind of been thinking like Christianity in particular likes to purport to be a religion that's quite literally set in stone and like unchanging, infallible. The word of God never moves, never, you know, it doesn't dance. It doesn't change. You know, we had the Ten Commandments carved into stone. Well, the fifteen, and then we lost the other five. What more could we need? Exactly. Or we're going to carve it into stone in front of a uh, a secular focus on the family in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yeah. But they left out some of the important words, in my opinion. But you know, but it's set in day. stone. It does feel like a tradition that's set in stone that doesn't want to change. And I have just come to a place where I just think it's so inevitable and you only cause your own suffering by resisting it Mm -hmm. i think especially churches are that way yeah emily i think that your connection to church service and liturgy is really interesting because like i feel like it goes without saying that the church itself has experienced so much liturgical change and like always is 
And I think that the connection to ritual is really interesting because you made me think of the study of anthropology and archaeology trying to figure out like the history of religion and maybe where it popped up in early humans. And I think what's fascinating to me about I didn't have a specific point there. You just made me think of it. (laughs) But I think what's really fascinating to me about like the way rituals take shape is that it's usually just like most simply measured by you did something again. Yeah. Like whether that's in a religious sense or like in a seasonal sense, like you get in pumpkin spice lattes every September and October as early as you can, because that date keeps getting pushed further and further back into August. (laughs) Like those, uh, those predictable, I think I think maybe when something becomes a ritual, this is not a sociological definition. This is just my anecdote. I think maybe when we reach the point of tradition is when something becomes predictable. Like, you know you're going to do that thing again, whether it's religious or not. And then I think what's really interesting to me is like, when that pattern gets disrupted, it feels as if it's going against the grain when like the formation of that thing was usually going against the grain in the first place. Right. So I think that's super fascinating on like a social psychological level. And then the other thing you made me think of, we briefly mentioned this on the, uh, I think it was the quilting point episode. I brought up the point about like, how do we avoid the fallacy that we have arrived at something? And Mm -hmm. I think if I remember right, I don't think I brought up the example of the Cerides paradox. No, you did not. Okay. So the Cerides paradox is basically like, at what point do grains of sand become a pile of sand? Ooh, that's oh. fun. Like if you if you keep adding a, a, a individual grain of sand, like at which grain of sand is it a pile of sand? Oh, fascinating. And it, it's a paradox, right? Because like, yes and no. Like it is always becoming the pile of sand. And I think that if we, in my opinion, I think it's a very healthy way to look at both the formation of rituals and change. Like if we, if we view those as like ever dynamic, then like we will have a better not just a better understanding, but like a better reaction to when things do change Mm -hmm. for better or for worse. So that's my opinion. I like it. That's Cerides paradox is interesting. I thought of like, at what point do trees become forests? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, what just struck me as kind of fun is like, if I saw three trees in the middle of nowhere, I wouldn't call that forest. So like, is there an actual, (laughs) is there a number that I would look and be like, that's forest made of trees. If you and if you not. put five trolleys on a road, how many need to be there until you have a problem? <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> but so that was funny, Josh. Good job. Thank you. With that, not the trolley one. I hate that stupid. Um, <laughs> we're gonna do an episode on it eventually. It's in my notes, we, you guys. We're gonna have to. It's oh inevitable. great! I saw a good meme about that today. That's why I thought of that. <laughs> it's inevitable. But what made me, Stephen, when you were talking about the trees and the forests and you wouldn't consider three trees, you know, on its own, a forest, someone else might. And with that, I think there is like a change of opinion and maybe your opinion would change if like someone was to persuade you. And I think I think that is what I am most fascinated with is the power of persuasion and the, oh. the power that we have to inflict change. Because I think we have a lot more power than we want to give ourselves credit for because we may not individually be able to 
initiate huge systemic change single-handedly. But on an individual level, we are so capable of creating change, probably in ways that we wouldn't even comprehend or think to be significant. And I think for churches, I at least for me, from what I perceive as like a pastor, I believe that congregations are afraid of change because they don't think they have the power to create change. Ooh, like almost in like a projection sort of way. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, I mean, since I'm not a part of a church right now, my first thought kind of goes to like the workplace and like how much control do employees have or feel like they have. So it was really interesting to me when you went that direction for a congregation, because I think that that's, I don't think I've ever heard anybody make that connection before. Mm. But I think mm-hmm. maybe you're right. Like maybe it's like this sense of powerlessness that like if you can't rely on the things that were predictable, like what can you rely on kind of thing? Like you feel like things are out of control or like mm-hmm. sure. subject to being out of control. And I think that goes hand in hand. This is coming from the Methodist specifically because that's what I know best because technically pastors are itinerant. So year to year it's up in the air if a pastor stays or leaves. However, it's pretty common that a pastor is going to stay for a number of years before they are reappointed or retire or whatever comes next. And I think for those churches that have had pastors for so long to then be faced in a situation where they're getting a new pastor or maybe their church has to close or whatever the situation is, Mm. I think there is that sense of powerlessness because they've had someone be in a role of leadership for so long and they have created ritual they have created stability they have created a sense of routine maybe even if you will that once that's gone they're so confused they're just like lost and Mm. And that's if nothing bad happens. Yeah. And and they want to like resort back to like how things used to be and be like, well, we used to do classes on Mondays, not Wednesdays or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I think they have this fear or this feeling that they are powerless. Mm. And if these changes are happening without them, you know, like it just is. What about the changes that they do have control over? Mm. Mm. What do you think? make someone feel empowered to affect change because like obviously being in a position of authority i think seems automatically like oh you can like make something happen or like that person over there who has authority can make something happen because what i hear you saying is like "Mm, what's the best way to say this what i'm hearing you say is that we can withstand the winds of change better knowing that we can affect change as well Like, Mm -hmm. even if change is inevitable in some way, either personally or like communally, that we can also feel empowered to cause more change. And then that should make things easier. That's kind of what I hear you saying. Yeah, 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 definitely. How do how can we like feel empowered to make more change happen? Because like, I feel like I've been in circumstances where I have both been empowered to do something on my own. Like, I feel like I can just make something happen. And that's really cool make a podcast. Great example. Like we just decided we're going to make a podcast. We don't know if anyone's going to listen to it. We're just going to do it. Uh, And then I've been in other situations where it's like, oh man, I really don't know what to do here. Like, I don't know if I can or like, 
should or if like me trying to make something happen is just going to be futile in the end. That's what it is. That hmm. it's are you focused on an end product or are you focused on the process? Because like for the podcast, we didn't know if like someone would listen. Right. We were just we're passionate about it. We wanted to do it. So we started it. Whereas in other situations, you're concerned of, is it going to be futile? Am I necessary? Is this essential? Will I do the right thing? Will I do the wrong thing? When we care about the end product, we're, I don't want to say negating, but we're in a way controlling that outcome being the outcome because we're not then going to be thinking so much about the process of. And that is the ironic thing with change is like, we don't get to control the product per se, like the process of it's there it is. There's the end product. What are you going to do with that? And I think when we see we can be a part of the process and the product, the resolution, whatever, then I don't think change is so scary. And I think we'll become more motivated to see change as a good thing. And I think if you're passionate about it, you know, if like we were passionate about starting this podcast, we're going to just put our best foot forward, not really knowing what we were doing to begin with. At least I wasn't. And I didn't care so much about what if no one listens? Because frankly, that's not where my heart was centered on. And I'm glad we have people listening. Absolutely. I'm thrilled. I love it. And I love what community has been built because of it. But initially it was we are passionate about this and we want to talk about it. How do we do that? <laughs> so seeing the process first before focusing on the result, I think is important with change. When we get too caught up in the end result, we see that sometimes that process doesn't align with how to get there. So then we just throw in the towel and give up and then kick ourselves because then we think about it oh man wait we could have done this oh you know yeah i don't know now i'm just rambling i feel like i'm struggling with the like the echoes of the voices of my teachers in christianity especially young stephen being taught christianity from a very like calvinist perspective i feel like i'm struggling with really caring to affect change because i was indoctrinated to think that everything was had a foregone conclusion or like the end of the story has already been written. So what do you do with that? Eschatology is a great example. Some way of interpreting the end times basically maps to like, you know, you start looking for like the signs of like, Oh, you mean how like storms increase in severity and frequency because of climate change? also kind of sounds like a certain way that people I know read revelation. Right. And that's where it's like, there's just a, there's a sinking feeling that comes from that theology and that comes from what I just view as so wrong about Christianity is that it just kind of takes it on face value of like, well, this is what it is. This was God's plan. And who are we to judge that? Or who are we to like kick against the goads on that? Uh, because either, either you think it's God's plan and that he will like redeem in the end or save you or what? We're just screwed. Mm. That's how it feels to me. Like, I think 
at a different phase of my life, the question of like, how do you view, view change is like, to, I mean, in a very real, like predestinarian kind of way, I would have said change doesn't exist because we're just like mm. following the script of history that has been written. Hmm. So would younger Steven, mm. would he have enjoyed those choose your adventure stories? Or no, no, never did. Never have still to this day. I still don't. <laughs> You don't? No, because I, that's the, it's like, I want to read a novel because someone like wrote the novel, the, the choose your own adventure. I don't like it because I still want to, (laughs) I still want to go to every page. I'm sorry. Is there a good one you can recommend for me? I have some from my mom from like the eighties and they're medieval, you know, they're like, they're crazy stories, but they're just so fun and so out there. Steven, you might enjoy the different format of the Bandersnatch movie that Black Mirror did on Netflix. If you never watched it. Oh, oh yeah. Cause it's like video format and Mm -hmm. you can, I, I, I won't spoil much for you, but you can go back and make different decisions like in the movie fun okay it's a it's a unique piece of media i won't say it's the best but it's very unique and pretty fun yeah um emily i have two thoughts about your like process yes your process product thing i think it's really interesting um a reminds me a lot of process theology and i've never thought about process theology like using process philosophy to talk about like god changing Mm -hmm. i've never really thought about it in terms of like process versus product and i think that's really interesting and that therefore, like, God cares about, like, journey and not just end point. It's the climb. I think that's great. Um, <laughs> I see what you're saying about, like, if we're only focused on, like, end result, that often sets us up for, like, unreasonable expectations. And that leads to a lot of, like, burnout and failure and all this stuff instead of being focused on, like, mm-hmm. what we're doing. And I think that that's a really healthy stance in a lot of ways. But I can also see how it could be nuanced too, because like if you really want to affect a change in church or workplace or personal beliefs or something, like you really want to make a change or say like healthy lifestyle, like you want to get healthier and like you actually have a goal in mind that is healthy. I think it can be frustrating to hear, like just focus on the process when you're, you're like, well, yeah, but I like have this, I have this end goal in mind. And if I'm not making that, then like I'm not making it. So Mm -hmm. I can see how it's like a little nuanced, but I do like your point with it. I think with a goal, so like healthy lifestyle, great example. Alex, my husband, is, as you both know, ripped for T buff. Yoked, dude. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. He has this dream of being a bodybuilder. So he has this goal in mind of what he wants to do, but he knows that that product, that result is not going to be the same as others because of who he is he is a shorter dude okay he's a hobbit and i love him to death (laughs) we will are you know we have a hobbit child and we'll have future hobbit children like it's just (laughs) the way of the world you can't be a six foot two bodybuilder when you are starting out with a height of five foot five so your goal matters like what you want to obtain matters however if you are seeking something that is very unlikely where you know that what it takes to get there means you would have to like magically grow eight inches and do all these things that you really don't have any control over unless you go through like crazy surgeries like the goal 
matters because if it's unreasonable, then your process matters too. So he is aware that for bodybuilding, he needs to focus on, okay, I need to have a goal that fits me and my needs and not just a stereotypical person because I am not a six foot tall dude. And, you know, I'm, I, I have a shorter stature and I know where I carry my body fat. I know where I carry my water weight. It's going to be different than other people. So those goals have to be specific. They can't just be like a, I want to be this. Cause if it doesn't, if it doesn't line up with you, that's, that's a lot. It's not like you're changing a hair color. So like I dyed my hair recently. I have gray hair now and I love it. Right. And I knew the process of getting there was going to be pretty damaging to my hair. I had to bleach it. I had to do all these things. I had to get toner, whatever. I didn't say I want to be a ginger right away. Like (laughs) I would have been sitting at the salon for five to six hours and I still would have to go back to get that result, right? These changes have to make sense for what you are actually wanting to obtain. And I think the same happens in churches. You can't say, for example, I hear this all the time, we need young people in church and then expect that process to just be like, all these young people are just going to be flocking to the door. No. What is it that you're really wanting? What is the change that you're actually looking for? Is it you're wanting young people to not only come to church, but be deeply rooted in their faith? Because if your end goal is just bringing them to church, I had you know, five more kids than I normally do. I met my goal for the day, like obtained. Great. Do I have to do that every week is have a joint service? No, obviously. Like we should care about being invested in young people's lives and caring about them outside of Sunday mornings at service. So change has to make sense. Like your end result has to make sense. Church quotas are the worst. I do not envy you. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. To that point, I like you fleshing out the healthy lifestyle example. I think that's great. My other example that came to mind when you were talking about the processed product situation is in terms of personal belief. And I think Mm. that there is this tendency I see, I think especially on social media, although 
I think I've had like many personal conversations like this as well. I see this tendency to go like full pendulum swing the other direction when change happens, when you're like, oh, I don't think I'm believing A anymore. Well, I definitely believe B then because B is not A. And Mm. there's, I see a lot of people making these like, in my opinion, very large logic jumps. I'm trying to think of a great example, but maybe one of the best examples is when, man, I don't know if I should say that. No, I'm going to say it. I think maybe one of the best examples is when somebody like quickly deconverts because they don't believe in Calvinism. And Stephen, you did not do this. <laughs> Please do not think I'm talking about you. Yeah, bet. But like, but did you say bet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I feel like we've all seen that trope. Um, I mean, not to like dog on anyone's journey, but like, I think that there is something to the mm. to the process of unraveling your beliefs and like really pulling on stuff and being like. Okay, like, why do I feel this guttural reaction when I think about that belief that I used to truly believe in with my whole heart mm-hmm. and mind and soul and strength? Don't leave us. And strength. now I'm like, uh, no, now. <laughs> but like, yeah. what's the like? I think we have this tendency to like seek out the opposites, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that subverts the process. That's my that's my point. To defend my friends who do deconvert from Christianity entirely from Calvinism. When you are told that there is no alternative Christian life to Calvinism, mm. that is the choice that makes the most sense. It's not like a, well, fuck it all then. That's a good point. It's, oh, sure. the Methodists aren't Christian, so I can't go over there. Totally. It's, I'm not Christian anymore. That must be it because mm-hmm. that indoctrination is so deep in you. Well, I think it happens in smaller ways too, I, for sure. Um, I do think that's a good point about Calvinism specifically. So, Stephen, as someone who has deconstructed and is now an atheist, do you think that you saw baby steps of change in that process for you? Or was it like a pendulum swing? No, I mean, to be honest, this over 150 episodes of Ravel has been a fantastic, uh, almost like a journaling process for me. Like, if you listen to episode one, I'm very much a Christian. (laughs) And you can kind of see it or you can kind of hear it. And I know that if you listen to episode 150. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm still. No, no, no. I'm sorry. 140. 141. 140. Yeah. yeah. 140. Yeah. I'm still struggling with it at that point. Right. But like, even then they, there were a number of episodes that were coming out in between the rebroadcasts we were doing through the spring where like those newer episodes was me just like, what are we even talking about with the God shaped hole in our heart? You know, like, w- mm-hmm. so you can kind of hear that. And I know people are going to see like, yeah, that's evidence of how slippery slope works. And it's like, okay, okay, whatever. But like, no, it wasn't an overnight thing. It did feel rather wild to like read what I read during atheism for Lent put on by Peter Rollins, which is like irony of ironies. I have to acknowledge that. It did feel wild to read what I read and just have a moment of like, oh yeah, that's how to put it into words. And when you put it in words mm-hmm. that's explicit, I'm not a Christian anymore. So it did feel like there was a like a switch, but it was I don't know, like the the pre-dawn light was already coming over the horizon. That was just the moment where the sun actually actually slipped over. Ah. You know what I mean? Sure. 
That's how I felt. But because I did have a sense of, you know, at the time of my life where I was like questioning the Calvinism, right? I had people like Emily in my life that I could start a podcast with who was a Methodist and who was a person who represented what I thought Christianity could be uh, definitely as a, a way to uh, find refuge, if you will, from a very like dogmatic, right? The, it's the set in stone Christianity versus I think Methodism does embrace change to a degree, right? I mean, like even that the, mm-hmm. that the organization that's legally recognized by the U.S. government has gone through agonizing work over the inclusion of LGBTQ clergy, right? Like, I mean, it's slow going for sure, but glacial pace change doesn't mean it's not worth doing either, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for me, for me personally, like, it was uh, it was quite the journey to get there. I don't think it was just one moment where it was like, oh, well, yeah, fuck it then. You know, sure, Emily. I want to go back to your original question about like, like why is it so hard to change things in church? Oh yeah, let's because like that. I've totally seen that in so many different ways. Like one of the ones that first comes to mind, that's a pretty innocent one, is we at my last church, my buddy leading worship. A couple times we would try doing this thing that he had done at other churches where they would like rearrange the chairs into concentric circles instead of like just all of the chairs facing the stage to watch people Mm -hmm. so you could see everybody else there would be like something in the middle but usually just like the tvs for words or like the podium so that like when somebody spoke you could actually see someone Mm -hmm. and people did not like it like i think it was like uh, in my opinion people were maybe just feeling like a uh, what do I do with my hands? Like, this is weird. Like Awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think we maybe tried it like two or three times the time that I was there. And then we, we didn't do it again because it was not well received. <laughs> and I think that maybe sometimes there's this like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentality in churches. Yes. Like, why yes. would we do anything different kind of thing? And it's like, like, why would you not have like a, culture of continuous improvement in a church like i will say i think mega churches are on that grind because they're constantly trying to like improve so that people come into the door and they like not that there's nothing wrong with them but like their services are like spectacular usually sure because they're always improving and i think that like smaller congregations kind of lose out on some of that spirit. I mean, maybe maybe it is there in some ways. Like, I feel like I've encountered many people in a small church who like, like give of their time to take care of the building because they like actually care about the place that people are going to worship. Mm-hmm. And I think you do, you do see that. But like in terms of like actually creating a significant change, I feel like there's usually just such a huge pushback. And it is really interesting. I think two things. One, it's a generational thing. From what I've experienced, wanting to incorporate change, I am speaking to usually baby boomers and older. And when they were younger and went to church, they dressed to the nines and it had to be done a certain way because that's what they were taught. And it was very much routine. It was deeply ingrained. This was how you behaved. This is what church looked like. 
And now we're faced with that's not the case. People can wear whatever they want to church and people have gotten used to that for the most part. <laughs> um, but that took a while. That took a while for people to get comfortable with the idea of someone could walk into a church on Sunday morning wearing blue jeans. Um, I think part two change is hard for people in churches because they are not always part of the process of initiating that change. And I'll give an example. So simple in my brain. Okay. Offertory. <laughs> like how we pass the plate in this church to collect money from everyone. That was a hot button issue. It was, this is how we've always done it. We don't need to change it. And I'm thinking to myself, but what you're doing doesn't make sense. <laughs> like just because you've done it for so long doesn't mean that that is the best way to do it. It is not always the most efficient way to do it. And when you try to initiate something new, granted, it's like introducing a new wheel, you know? So like, yes, your wheel is great, but wouldn't you like maybe a more aerodynamic wheel or <laughs> something that's a little more cost-effective wheel, you know? Like, we're not necessarily reinventing it. We're just showing you something to make it better. Oh, people do not like that. They do not like that. If they were not part of the process to begin with, they hmm. hate it. And that's what I think people need to be hands-on and they need to be the ones to initiate it to feel comfortable with it. If it's hmm. brought on upon them and they feel like they have no say, then why do it? Actually, that's a really good point about like community buy-in and things happening from the bottom up, even if like the beginning stages are initiated top down. Like I mm -hmm. feel like that applies to politics, church, workplace. Yeah. Like that can be really, really meaningful. And it's not like we're gonna have a bunch of church congregations unionize all of a sudden <laughs> to be like <laughs> like we need to Yeah. Like right. we need to be on the same page. Like Wait, isn't but, that what a I, denomination is? No. Well. But we have so many. <laughs> yeah, I mean. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I do think it's a culture thing where, like, you can encourage your people who are technically not in charge to, like, take ownership of something. Yep. Whether that's employees or congregants. And I, th I think you're right. Like, I think it is important for people to not just have buy-in, but, like, have an actual voice hmm. for change. And I think maybe your point about like powerlessness mm -hmm. like rings true again that like like if a change is good and like will affect good but people don't feel involved then it's probably an unsustainable change and i think that can be really challenging for a church because not only do you have like generational and like traditional kind of factors but if you have a person who is either more educated than other people and you're like no i have legitimate reasons why we should do this even if you don't see it that can be challenging but then also sometimes that goes too far too like people have taken advantage of their education and been like no you guys are stupid uh listen to everything i have to say <laughs> so like i uh i can totally see how that would be a balance mm -hmm. i would posit that it's theological more than anything what is change itself like the hesitancy around mm -hmm. change the unwillingness to go along with it or the feeling powerlessness to affect it because some theologies quite literally take the power out of the worshiper's hand and only put it in God's. This is where thoughts and prayers come from. Sure. 
like, oh, mm. thoughts and prayers, you know, another school shooting, thoughts and prayers. It's like, I'm not interested in your prayers unless you're interested in being the answer to it. Like, yeah, no, I'm... go do it. But that's the problem is because whew, this is going to start sending like really anti-Christian. But this is like this is where <laughs> I'm at right now with the, at the root of like not my will, but thy will. It's like, oh, if i just need to submit to god's like you know if it's god's will god must have a plan if i just submit offer the thoughts and prayers you know like i I was told like enough praying could affect change in the world and whether that's because god just needs us to beg for it or we're actually changing god's mind but that's not a possibility because god is immutable and never changes so which is it i guess because like if we pray enough things will actually change and I'm just, I'm so tired of that attitude that is just like, if you want to see a change in your church, you want to see a change in your political community, even a school shooting occurs, be the answer to the goddamn prayer and actually get Mm -hmm. in the fight, Mm -hmm. do something about it. Maybe God made you the answer to the prayer, but if we're going to be so neutered in our power to affect our change because it's always submitting, not my will and thy will. It's like, Oh, I just have to seek God's will for it. It's like maybe God's will is immediate action. Yeah. But we're just going to like sit back and rest on our laurels until we get the right kind of fuzzies. Yeah. In our devotional time. Are you kidding me? When change is asking to step outside of ourselves, that's where we want to throw it into god's court and leave it at that and hope that change occurs because we're just scared of it we don't want to be vulnerable or like because we're scared we're scared yeah we're totally petrified by it so we bicker and bitch and moan about the little things happening on sunday mornings like oh we mixed up the order of service one day like that we need to change that that needs to be fixed right and that's something we feel is more tangible and we can manage that because it affects us and our day and our schedule or whatever. But those bigger issues, the ones that really matter, <laughs> scare us. Yeah. They, they terrify us because we don't see how we're a part of it. We don't see where we're, well, we're not affected by it. I, I don't have any family in schools or, you know, it, that that's a political issue. That That's up to the, the snowflakes and the conservatives, it, right? Like, yeah, we don't see ourselves as being part of that and so we step away ultimately i additionally think this is a problem with theology that comes from paul that's saying we are not of this world like my citizenship is in heaven or whatever like that i that that is like just choosing to not participate and that feels maybe i'm interpreting that wrong and maybe i'm interpreting it through that like i'm kind of seeing red right now because i'm actually feeling pretty angry because <laughs> um, even like hear that everyone we have an angry atheist even, on the podcast yes, now. thank you that's right we'll take it the the uh the atheist hibiscus lacroix got to me uh, but like <laughs> emily when you were bringing up like it caused a big stink when we talked about how we do offertory i was like good christ are you kidding me <laughs> what a boring ass thing to be up in arms about I wish I was kidding. You know, I kind of get how it happens. There's this like corporate attitude that happens. And I don't know if this is uniquely American to Christians or businesses or not. But I think that we love to feel like we have an opinion (laughs) and we love to feel like we have an important opinion. Uh, And so like I get how it happens. Like I see that at work 
all the time. People are like, oh, no, no, we should do this. And I'm like, who cares? Like, let's let just do, let's just choose one of them. We'll change later if we need to. Does it actually matter that much? <laughs> I get how it happens. I really do. I think it's a very interesting social phenomenon. I think I've maybe brought up the terms before, but social loafing versus social facilitation, where like, oh, yeah, social facilitation, things get easier when you're in a crowd, like clapping versus social loafing, things get harder to accomplish when there's more than one person, like make a decision. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird how that happens. It's like when you go to a bar and they're like, like a dive bar, you're like, well, what do you have? And you're like, uh, I mean, what do you uh, like? You like look at you like look at the back bar and you see like thirty bottles and like twenty of them you've never seen in your life and you're right. like I mean what can you make me versus like you go to a cocktail bar that has four options and you're like yeah oh lovely right the dry erase marker that always goes over my whiteboard of a mind when everybody asks me <laughs> like what's your favorite cocktail I'm like I don't remember the name of any cocktail ever what do we do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mine is favorite movie. Somebody asked me favorite movie. And I'm like, I've never seen a movie in my life. What's yeah. a movie? <laughs> right. Anyway. Mm, yeah. I get like, I'm just more and more convinced that some theologies do a lot more harm than good. Even the ones that kind of like sound good on face value. Cause yeah, I think there is something to like, uh, you know, like surf the vibe or like, roll with the punches, you know, like dance with the waves a little bit as change comes to you. But there are, there are ways I'm kind of looking at Christian communities now from the outside looking in, or I'm just like, I, I like the theology itself has taken us out at the knees. And I, you know, to, to lean into that little turn of phrase a little bit, I think it's because too often we go to thoughts and prayers on the knees instead of just rolling up the sleeves and getting shit done. Hell yeah. Boom. Uh, to go a not, that is a boom. That's great. Uh, to give a more secular example for the atheists in the crowd. <laughs> um, I, uh, we, we went to a concert this last week to Tessa Violet. Emily, do you know Tessa Violet? I was asking Steven and he did not know. You know Tessa? No. She's bigger on TikTok. But I guess she's been making music for a little while. So we went to this concert because one of Elise's friends wanted to go. And it's like one of those shows that like you wouldn't normally go to if you like just knew. Like I knew about it and I was like, oh, I don't think I'd go to that. I don't know her music super well. But then one of Elise's friends was like, do you guys want to go? And I was like, yes. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we, <laughs> we go and it, she's like, she, she's basically like girly pop. But I think she sounds pretty good. And the show is great. But at one point in the show, she's, she plays this song. And she's like, do, 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 do. And then she starts playing a different part in the song. And then she stops. She full stops. And she goes, I just skipped the second verse by accident. And then she like gave like a little two minute sermon on like, if that had happened to me five years ago, I would have like freaked the frick out. Like I would not have known what to do. But like now I just accept the fact that that happens sometimes. And I just roll with it. And now I'm talking to you right now. And it's fine. Like nobody cares. I don't care. <laughs> and she just like and then she like picked it back up and started playing and like i think that examples like that can like seem really cheesy but like to a person who needs to hear that i think some people need that freedom to be like oh yeah like things are just gonna happen and like you get to decide how you respond to them and i think that is what is the most important especially with the idea of change is 
it may fall through. Like you may forget to sing a verse. You may, we may have forgotten that we switched the order of the service on a Sunday, or we, there may just be things that we wanted to initiate and they didn't work out the way we wanted us to have them work out. And we need to be okay with that. And I think when we take ourselves off of this idea that we need to be perfect and Mm. blemish free with change, then we find that being a part of change isn't so scary Mm. because we're not so concerned with it being exactly perfect, but rather just what it needs or should be. And and I think you're right for people who needed to hear that, that was good for them to hear. So, yeah. Well, uh, speaking of change, do you want to change it up and just end the episode? Like, just end it? Just end it. Great. Cool. Well, talk to you later. Okay, bye.